Yeah, that song always gets me. Uh, it's a great song to implicate our surrender to what God is doing in our lives, and I love every time we get to sing it. If you have little, little ones that you'd like to send out so that they can uh, enter their Advent season together, that's what all these folks are leaving at the back door. There's going to be somebody in the back that can meet them and take them down to their class. Thank the Lord for our, our servants in the and they get, to, uh, they get to teach our kids today. We're grateful for them. Well, today we get to start, like I mentioned, a brand new series called Fear Not. You probably could guess that because it's right there. Uh, it's right on the tree. And um, over the next couple of Sundays together, we're going to talk about some of the instances surrounding the Christmas season where angels appeared and God delivered this supernatural message to different individuals and always introduced it with these words, fear not. Jesus loved using these words. Uh, Jesus was always saying, fear not, or have no fear, or sometimes he'd say, oh, you have a little faith, like, smarten up, like, what, what, are you fear, what are you fearing all these things for? So it's only natural that at his birth, this was a common phrase that God used to introduce uh, the, the, the Messiah coming to us on this Christmas season. As we walk to the manger, our hope as we go through the series together and talk about all the times that God used these phrases that we will be impacted ourselves in a world that tells us to fear uh, so that we would be reminded that God says exactly the opposite, fear not. And that song that we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul, kind of sets that up for us so well. All is well with me. Uh, let me tell you a couple of things that you, just, just to underline them again, we have a busy Christmas season. I know that you guys all do too. You've got parties to go to and things that your kids are involved in and plays and Christmas caroling and all the stuff that is on your, your normal agenda for Christmas season. But let me tell you a few things that are coming up. Uh, and um, Megan already did this for us this, this morning, which is great, but I just want to underline this so you can chalk these off on your calendar. The Christmas Sharing Project, this is the community that's asked us to get involved. I'm so excited we get to do something like that uh, for our community, and so I'd encourage you to get involved with that. Thank you, Megan, for sharing that with us this morning, and you can give right online to that. We look to give a good offering to our community. We also have the Advent readings. Uh, Helen and Darren did a great job with it for that this morning for us. Thank you for blessing us. Uh, you'll see those every single Sunday as we have different families share, or if they want me to share for them, I've offered to do that as well. We'll see what happens, but my hope is that we'll have something, uh, something every single Sunday that we'll be able to share with you about how good God has been in 2021 to the different individuals in our church. Not everybody's going to get picked, but remember, put your word or your phrase on the blessings wall. Uh, every Sunday we'll be doing a message on fear not. Hopefully that'll mean more in a world that uh, constantly fears, especially with all the new variants uh, that are coming out. Who knows what's coming up next? Let's see, what's after Omicron? Ypsilon? Yeah, all right, well, good luck. And then uh, Christmas Eve with, our, uh, with a, a church that does these series with us. Uh, Alliance Bible Church. Alex is a good friend of mine, and so we're going to get to join them for Christmas Eve at 3 o'clock. We made it nice and early so that you'll be able to join us and still do your normal Christmas Eve uh, smash with your families in the, in the evenings, whatever you do together. We also have some really cool things planned for the kids. Diane has put, put her uh, thinking cap on for that, and I'm so excited about some of the stuff that we have planned for that, that afternoon together. So I hope you can join us for all of that. Uh, a lot of cool stuff coming up. But today, today we're talking about fear not and uh, introducing it with this question. 
Are you sitting down? I'm sure you are. I'm the only one standing. Here's the question. What is the hardest thing God has asked you to do? All right. What is the hardest thing God has asked you to do? How did you feel? Thinking to yourself, I don't know if this is God speaking or the pizza that I had last night. I'm not quite sure that this is actually something that God is asking me to do. Trying to get out of it, trying to think it through. What were your emotions at the time? You, you kind of had this inclination God was asking you to do, and you knew it was going to be something difficult, like really difficult. How did you feel? Joseph was put into a very difficult position. He's our main character to start off this Advent season together. Joseph, the, wife, the husband of Mary, was put into an uncomfortable position, and God comes to him and says, Joseph, you're in an uncomfortable position. Joseph goes, I, I know that. And the angel's message to Joseph is, stay right there. I don't know about you, but every time I pray, I kind of, I kind of feel guilty because I'm thinking to myself, all of my prayers are like how I get out of difficult situations. God has put me in a difficult situation. God, could you get me out of this situation now? And a lot of times I I think to myself, my goal is just to get to the other side, to endure, uh, to to figure out the best way to maneuver through the muck so that I get out on the other side and I'm I'm not too scathed. When in reality, a lot of the times... God is putting us into a difficult position with the idea that, here's, here's the deal, Craig, I want you to stay there. Joseph's message was exactly that. Joseph was probably thinking to himself, how do I get out of this? And we're going to find out in a minute, that was pretty much foremost on his agenda. And God's message to him was, fear not, I've got this, you need to stay right where you are. You need to do what you're doing. Let's jump in, Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this, this way, in verse 18. If you got your Bibles or your tablets or whatever it is that you're using to uh, read along, Matthew 1, 18, starting at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a little bit about betrothal. Probably a lot of you already know this, but the betrothal period for the Jewish Uh, culture in Jesus' day was when a man and a woman who had been promised to be together for the rest of their lives, they live a year apart from one another, but almost like they're married. The man is responsible for the woman. The woman is responsible to take care of the man. There's there's marriage, but there's no hanky-panky. There's no physical relationship. The woman stays with her family, the man stays with his family, but they begin to, they begin to live as though they are responsible for one another. So when, when we talk about the engagement or the betrothal period between, a, uh, between Mary and Joseph, you should know they are really living as though they're married, except there's no physical relationship. At the end of the year, there's a seven-day ceremony. Actually, it's more like a seven-day party. And these two people who have been promised together for their lives, who have spent now a year acting like husband and wife, making decisions as husband and wife, planning their future as husband and wife, but no physical relationship, at the, at the seven days, at the end of that, there's a big party, lasts for all seven days, and at the very end of the seven days, the man leaves his house, he trots across town, he picks up his bride, and he takes her to their house, where they're going to live. It's a celebration with a culmination of the physical relationship at the end of the seven days. This was done on a regular basis. 
So if you, if you have kids and somebody else has kids, you'd make a deal that your kids are going to get married and then this is how it's done. One year engagement, at the end of the year engagement, big time party, seven days, and then at the end of that, they are official. If any hanky-panky goes on, do you like that word? <laughs> I don't get to say it too many times on Sunday, so I'm going to keep saying it. If any of that stuff goes on during the year, it's the same thing as adultery. See it exactly the same way. Now, to follow these laws was to honor God's system. And there was great honor in having that seven-day celebration at the end because it was a culmination of the honorable relationship these two have carried on their whole lives and then even through that betrothal year period and then celebrating together at the end of that time period. If the woman was found to be pregnant during that time, according to Old Testament law, the relationship is severed and she is cast out of her family. Actually, if you go back far enough in Old Testament law, she actually might be stoned for her, for her actions. And if they could find the guy, maybe he would be too. You know this because on, when Jesus was, the, the, the woman was brought to Jesus and thrown at his feet, uh, and they were ready to stone her, you remember that? Jesus said, let, 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 one of you who doesn't have sin, you, you cast the first stone, and then they all left. Joseph is celebrating a lifetime of anticipation of being with Mary. They get to the seven, they're not at the seven week period, it's during that year period that Mary is found to be pregnant. And Joseph's life falls apart. And so does Mary's. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now you understand why the word divorce is used. It's not that they were married, it's that this was the engagement period when they were looked at as though they were married. And so in the Jewish legal system, if they were gonna sever their relationship, it's the same thing as a divorce. But I love this, Joseph was a just man. He had compassion for Mary. He didn't want her to be hurt. Even though she had hurt him, he didn't want her to be hurt. Keep in mind, Joseph is in the, he, he, he doesn't know what's going on. He's totally in the dark as to what's happening here. All he knows is that his wife-to-be, that he has promised himself to his entire life, now ruins his life. And I love it that he decides, instead of taking it out on her, being a just man, he decides to divorce her quietly. He doesn't know what happened. He's not, he's, you know, who's going who's gonna to believe the whole Mary story. But he loves her and he's a just man, so he decides to do a private divorce. What that means is he decides to make this so under the covers that he wants to protect Mary's reputation. If he married her, keep in mind, if he married her, she's already pregnant. If he marries her, he'd admit he's involved. He doesn't want to do that because he wasn't. So he'd be admitting a guilt he doesn't have. But he loved her too much to disgrace her. And so he decides that he's going to put her away quietly and divorce her quietly. In this way, he could preserve his own good name. Here's what I think that means. And I, I don't have this particularly 
because it's not mentioned in scripture. All I know is that these words are used. He, he does this quietly. He's a just man. I think he has a conversation with Mary. And Mary tells him, I didn't have any, all of a sudden, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. And J- Joseph's going, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, right. Yeah, like this happens every day. And Mary's trying to explain it to him, and I can't, he's not buying it. So he decides, he, he looks at Mary and says, Mary, I love you, but I, we're not going to do this because if I do this, I'm going to be admitting a guilt that's not mine, and it's going to ruin the rest of my life. We'll get to that in a minute. But he looks at her and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have this baby, but you're going to go away somewhere. Go somewhere to another village where they don't know you very well. This is my guess is what's happening. Go somewhere, and when they ask you where your husband is, you tell them I'm dead, or you tell them your husband died. Just lie about it. Make it so that your life isn't ruined, and I'll do what I need to on this side to cover our, our, our steps. Listen, this is a messy situation. Joseph didn't ask for it. Joseph doesn't know what's going on. Mary's, in, Mary's clueless as well. I mean, she knows the angel came to her by this point, but she's trying to wrap her mind around what's going on in her physical body, trying to explain it to the man she loves. And he is rejecting her. And we need to understand that. He is rejecting her. He decides to divorce her quietly. Listen, this is what would be involved. If Joseph decided he was going to marry Mary, 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 if he decides he's going to go through with the marriage, he would be admitting his own guilt. This would plague him the rest of his life. He would be saying, I couldn't control myself. I'm that kind of an individual, and it's not like it is today. Way back then, it was 100 times different. And if he has a relationship with his wife, he can't control himself, it would affect everything in his life. His family would look at him differently. His, his, uh, his clients would look at him differently. His job would be affected. His social implications. People, when he walked into the room, they'd snicker and say, that's the guy that couldn't control himself. For the rest of his life, this would be hung around his neck. He would face a potential loss of inheritance. It would likely go to the next person in line in his family and not to him. He could be canceled by his family. Listen, here's a question. When they went back to Bethlehem to have the baby, you remember the story? And there was no room for them in the inn? That's not a hotel. That's his house. They go back to stay at his house and there's no room for them in his house. Can I just ask all the parents here, what kind of a parent would turn away a child that's about to have another child? What parent would turn away their son, whether he was you know, unable to control himself or not, what kind of a parent would turn away a son and a woman that is nine months pregnant about to have a child? What kind of a parent would do that? They wouldn't. We need to understand in this day and age, his decision to marry Mary His decision to go through with the engagement even affected his relationship with his parents. In that day, when you go home to register to be, you know the story, right? When you register to be counted as the Quirinius was governor of Syria and all the world should be counted, they were doing a census. And he comes home and there's no room for them. It means there's no room for him in his house. All of his family was home. There's a million rooms, well, not a million, but there's, there's rooms in this compound that belongs to his family. It's belonged to his family since Boaz and Ruth. He's had this land. There's a compound there. There's rooms there. There's a house there. He's not allowed in the door. 
There's other family members there, but they're not giving up their rooms, and the parents are not giving up their rooms because these guys aren't able to control themselves. It affected him, his, his inheritance. It affected his family. She's on the verge of giving birth, and his parents wouldn't even allow him into his house. And lest you think that I'm making more of this than there is, Scripture solidifies this thought constantly. When Jesus was old enough to go to the synagogue and read from the scroll, it's your, it's your, it's, it's, it's your entrance into manhood. When you're given the scroll and you're able to read, and it's like, it's like Darren, you coming up here and, and sharing communion for the first time. It's your entrance into the, the ministry. You know what I mean? It's like your entrance into manhood. So, so Jesus is given the scroll, and he opens the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah, and he does such a good job reading, and then he folds up the scroll, and he gives it back to the attendant. And do you know what? The Bible tells us the response, not of the attendant, not of Jesus. It gives us the response of the people. You know what the response of the people was? Let me share it for you. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he, and, the, and he began to say to them, today the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. He gave them a prophecy from Isaiah, and he said, I'm it, I'm the Messiah. He read so well, he did such a good job. Verse 22, here's the response. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this, what does it say, church? Is this, oh wait, oh change it, is it? Ah, I got cut off. Let me read it for you. <laughs> Here's how it ends. The most important part that got cut off here. All spoke well of him, marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Can I ask you a question? Is this Joseph's son? No. But everybody thought it was. Nobody's buying the story. No, Mary and, selling, Mary, Mary and Joseph are selling this whole, I got pregnant through the Holy Spirit bit. Nobody's buying. And when Jesus read this, and it says in the Bible, even though you couldn't read it, you can look it up yourself. It's in Luke 4, 22. It says, isn't this Joseph's son? You know what they were saying? Isn't this Joseph's bastard? They weren't buying it. All they knew is this was a loose individual. How did he get to read? How, how did somebody like that even get, a, get an education? Yeah. Joseph had all of these personal implications for his life. Here's another thing. We're never told what Joseph did before the angel came to visit him, which we'll get to in just a second. All we know is what he did afterwards. As we were talking in sermon prep and discussing all of the the messiness that Joseph was facing in taking Mary as his wife. The question came up, do you think Joseph was a carpenter his whole life or he had to settle for that because it's the only way he could make an income wearing this illegitimate label on his sleeve the rest of his life? It's interesting, isn't it? Joseph would have had some sort of a business by this point Joseph was likely older than Mary, receiving uh, something from his family. He likely had a solid source of income. And I'm not sure whether he was a carpenter before or maybe his family did not pass down the family business. Maybe he was not able to, maybe nobody would buy his stuff anymore. And so he had to settle for being a carpenter. 
I don't know. But it's an interesting question. And whether it's a carpenter or a mason, it's, it's hard to say what, what Joseph actually did. But we do know Joseph did something, manual labor with his hands, that Jesus also ended up doing with him as he grew. I wonder if he had to settle. Because this pregnancy thing got out in the mainstream. Whatever it was, Joseph's whole life was affected. If he marries Mary, his life is going to change and not for the good. And you know what? It just got messier from there. Mary has to go live with Elizabeth because she can't have the baby at home. She's, she's with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is also visited by an angel. They're not married. That's, that's very messy. They have to return to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant. That's a messy situation. Once they have the baby and a, and a year or so passes, and they, they find out that Herod, the nut job, is, is going to kill all the firstborn, or, or all of these babies under a year, a year old. They talk, take off and they go to Egypt. They don't have the money for that. That's a messy situation. They have to uproot their whole lives and run for their lives. Messy, 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 messy. Joseph is, listen, the angel, when the angel shows up to Joseph, the angel is saying, Joseph, I need you to sign up for a messy situation that you're going to be in for the rest of your life. Messy. One more thing before we go further. We're in Matthew, and the second, ch- the second chunk of Matthew, which is where we're at, tells about the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. But the previous chapter, the previous verses... Talk about how lovely the birth of Jesus was. Here's how it starts. Matthew 1.19. Here's how, I think I put these verses down. Do I have Matthew, did I put that in there? Maybe I might not have. But Matthew 1, uh, Matthew 1 starts off in Matthew 1 verse 1. It talks about these are the generations of Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, David, uh, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so it's like a formal like if you were to do a, a, a formal layout of your family tree, this is how this starts. And so when you open up the book of Matthew, this is the first, book you, the first verse you read. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Good so far. <laughs> do you know what the next couple of verses talk about? It talks about Rahab in this line. Rahab was a prostitute. It talks about Ruth. Ruth was in this line. Ruth was a Moabitess. God hated the Moabitess. It says in Psalms, God threw his shoe at the Moabites. Did not like, God said, no Moabite is ever going to walk into my temple. Did you know that in the Old Testament? Ruth is a Moabite. We love Ruth. And by the way, God did too. Loved Ruth. But Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth is in this line. Jacob is in this line. Jacob was a liar, a cheat, and a thief. I mean, he couldn't do anything right. Jacob was a liar, cheat, and thief. And then you got David. David was an adulterer. Oh, yeah, and David killed a guy so that he could cover his tracks. You remember all of this? This is the first couple of verses. We're about to write a formal genealogy of Jesus, and we got liars, thieves, swindlers. People are not allowed into the temple. All of these bad individuals in this line. And you're, you're reading this line, and you're going, wait a minute. This isn't as neat and tidy as I thought it should be. Mm-hmm. All of this is a messy situation. And the bottom line is, God was in control of it all. <laughs> we may have thought, Jacob may have thought he was in control of it all. And Jacob, and Jacob made plenty of messes along the way. God's in control of it all. Rahab, the prostitute, God's in control of it all. Saves the, thie- uh, the spies 
uh, when they came through Jericho. God's in control of it all. And now we're getting into more of the same. And I think the message to Joseph is God is in control of this too. As formal as we could make Jesus' birth, it's messy, messy, messy. (laughs) By the way, could you throw that verse up there one more time? I want you to see that the, the Bible doesn't cover up the foibles. Look at that last. Can you see what that says? uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father, oh, we missed it again. David was the father of Solomon, who was the son of Uriah. Uh, uh, How does it say it exactly? I didn't write it down. I thought it would be up there. But anyway, uh, yeah, the son of the wife of Uriah. It doesn't even call Solomon David's son. Isn't that crazy? Do you know what it says? Messy. Messy, 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 messy. But God was in control of it all. And here's the thing. Joseph had nothing to do with it. Joseph had no idea why he was put into this situation. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He was a just man. He was a righteous man. He didn't want to be in this situation. He didn't do anything wrong. And God said, you're right where I need you to be. Stay right there. And he's gone, my whole life's going to be affected. I can't do business. Like, my family's going to look down on me. I'm not going to be allowed home when I need to come home anymore. And God says, you're right where I need you to be. Crazy. Verse 20. As he considered these things, that is divorcing Mary, so he could make the best of his life. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, get this. How did the angel appear to him? In a what? In a dream. Saying, son, uh, uh, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is why we call this Fear Not. Our whole sermon series is Fear Not. God is in control. And the thing that gets me is this isn't an angel like Mary. Mary got an angel she could see and maybe touch, I don't know, but she got a visual a visual representation. Joseph just gets a dream. Have you ever had a dream where you wake up and it seems so real, but it wasn't real because dogs, you know, don't fly, right? So you know, but it seemed real at the time. Flying dogs, you know? You know it was a dream. I gotta think to myself at some point, Joseph probably thought back to himself and thought, was that just a dream? Did I make a big mistake? But apparently he never does. Fear not means this may sound messy to you, but God has a plan that you're not going to believe. So don't fear to take Mary as your wife. Everything's according to plan. Everything's according to plan. And this is what I would say to you, church. Obedient faith offers a hope better than our plans of escape. Obedient faith offers a hope that is better than our plans to escape. Verse 21. The angel goes on, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. The bottom line is this, God's plan requires our obedience right now regardless of the personal loss we think we're gonna face. God's plan requires our obedience right now regardless of the personal loss we fear that we're gonna face. We want the solution to look like this. I don't know about you, but this is how I want. All of these bad things are not gonna happen. You'll be fine. That's what I want to hear God say. Or I want to hear God say, I'm going to remove all of your pain and suffering. It's going to be a sweet ride from here forward. That's what I want to hear God say. 
I want to hear God say, after fear not, I want to hear him say, fear not, I'll make everything great for you. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear, fear not, my life, your life, Craig, is going to be better in this world if you decide to follow me with all your heart. But we're never given that promise. In fact, we're kind of given the opposite. Jesus says, in this world, you will have, do you know what that word is? In this world, you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. To Joseph, God was sounding like this. Joseph, your future's gonna change in a major way. And he's probably thinking to himself, sweet, what's gonna happen? Joseph, your family and friends may never talk to you again. Whoa, 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 hang on a second. Yeah, they may never look at you the same way again. They might not let you in the house. Joseph, your income may not be quite as secure in the future as you planned for. In fact, you might have to change your job. Do you like working with wood? (laughs) But here's the deal. Fear not. My plan is still rolling. Just like it was with Jacob and Rahab and David, the adulterer who had a son that was a wife of Uriah that he killed. Just like all that stuff, everything is going according to plan. It may be messy, but it's God's plan. And God's plan for Joseph, this had to be the best news in the world. For Joseph, the angel said, this is where you come in. If, if you obey, and don't try and get out of this, but if you obey, I'm bringing salvation to all people. I will save my people from their sins. So the gospel requires Jacob's faith to kick into full gear right now. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I got to think, Joseph, who's a good Jewish guy, who knows Isaiah 7, hears this from the angel and thinks to himself, that's where I've heard this before. Because the angel quotes Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. I got to think the angel is speaking to Joseph in this dream and saying, Joseph, you knew this was coming. You've heard about this. You've studied about it. You've learned about it since you were a little Jewish kid. It's going to happen, and I need you to be this kind of a guy for it to happen because it's gonna happen today. Isn't that great? Verse 24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, this is the key, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but he did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Bottom line, despite the implications on the future of Joseph's life, Joseph obeyed. God is revealing to to Joseph a big picture, and he says to Joseph, here's the part I need you to play. And he affirmed it to Joseph. He brought him shepherds on the night that Jesus was born, and wise men who brought gifts after Jesus was born, and and Herod who feared the child so much, and he's thinking to himself, how can you fear this little baby? And over and over, Joseph is affirmed in the fact that God has a plan, and it's happening with him right now, right then but it would cost him his whole life. My question to you is this. Do you think Joseph ever doubted? 
Do you think he ever had a moment when he thought, was it a dream? (laughs) Did it really happen? Maybe I just had too much pizza the night before. Maybe it didn't really happen. I wonder if he ever doubted. We only hear of Joseph one more time after this. Mary gets all the press. You don't see any stained glass window with Joseph on it. Mary's everywhere. She's, she's, she's everywhere, holding the baby, feeding the baby, loving on the baby, holding the baby at the cross, while holding Jesus at the cross. It's Mary, 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 Mary. It's like, uh, Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. It's always, always Mary, right? And where's Joseph? Gone. He only appears one more time. It's when he forgot the kid at the temple. They're at the temple, they're worshiping, and he forgets Jesus. That's the only time we hear from Joseph. So just man that he was, he had a short-term memory. That's all we know about Joseph. And then he fades off into obscurity. We don't know what happened to him. All we know is when Jesus died at the cross, he was gone because Mary was given to the care of John. That would not need to happen if her husband was still alive. He dies. Something happens, to, and nobody knows. Nobody knows where he's buried. Nobody knows. Joseph gave up everything to do what was asked of him, and he fades off into obscurity. Joseph and Mary were not extraordinary people. They were just obedient people. They teach us that one thing is true when it comes about living a life of a fear not attitude, and here's what it is. Hoping in God's plan is greater than any hope I could find in trying to escape my situation. So church, my question to you is, what is God asking you to do today? What is the request that God has for you to do today? Will you be obedient even when it gets rough? What is your go-to move when God asks you to do the hard things? I have some so what's for you. Number one, to help you along this journey, don't get lost in the mess. This world is a messy place, always has been, always will be. Sometimes more than others. (laughs) And sometimes more in our lives, harder than at other times. We don't know what happened to Joseph. All we know is that Joseph had the blessing of being an earthly dad to the savior of the world. Can you imagine what that was like? Jesus ate Joseph's barbecue. I mean, Joseph got to, got to hold Jesus and rock him to sleep at night. Jo- Joseph got to know that this was the son of God at his table. Joseph got to hear his child teaching rabbis at the temple. <laughs> Joseph got to teach Jesus how to treat women. Joseph got to treat, uh, got to, got, was able to treat, teach Jesus how to to do a trade, how to use his hands, how to build things, how to brush his teeth, how to clean himself. Joseph got to teach Jesus the law of Moses when Jesus inspired Moses to write it. My question to this is, do you think Joseph would have traded his spot for anything else? Probably not. I think When Joseph was asked to do what God asked him to do, he was ready. It says Joseph was a just man. You know what that means? He's been working on a character his whole life that needed to be kicked into gear right now. 
what do I learn from that? I have, to, I have to know that whatever God's taking me through right now is building me into what he needs me to be tomorrow. What I go through tomorrow is building me into what he needs me to be the next day. What do I do the next day is building me to what I need to be the next day. I don't know what God's gonna ask me to do. All I know is I need to be ready. Joseph was ready. He was a just man. He was a man that God needed him to be. Reminds me of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Obedient faith offers hope, and it is better than escape. We think to ourselves differently, right? If I can just get out of this, my life would be easier. My life would be better. (laughs) If Joseph had done this, how much would he have missed out on? Jesus reminds us, in the world we have tribulation. Sometimes it's messy, but God can redeem us, redeem it all. A few years ago, I got a call from a friend of mine who said, Craig, I need you to go to prison. <laughs> I said, okay, what, what, do you, what do you need me to do? What, what? Now, I have a friend in prison, just got convicted of child molestation, and he's in prison, and I'm afraid he's gonna kill himself. I'm afraid he's gonna hurt himself young kid, early 20s. So she said, I need you to, if, if you wouldn't mind, to go to prison and visit him. I said, sure, what do I need to do? So called the prison, made the arrangements. One of the scariest days of my life. Show up in this prison in the middle of nowhere, and I park my car, and you know, getting, getting into prison is really difficult. Getting out is hard, I'm sure, but getting in is hard too. So I go in, I tell them who I am, they let me through the first gate, let me through the second gate, let me through the third gate. I'm in this hallway, they put me in this little room, they shut the door, I am so far in this prison, there's no way I'm getting out, and now I'm sitting there alone, and then they let him in beside me. He sits across the table from me and there's a guard posted outside. I said, what am I here for, man? He said, I I got nothing to live for. It's over for me. We didn't talk about his guilt. We didn't talk about whether he did it or not. I, quite frankly, wasn't interested in that. All I was interested in knowing is who I was talking to right then. He said, Craig, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, well, dude, all I can do is I can tell you there's still hope. There's no ladder you can fall too far down where God can't use you. Now, there might be more repercussions based on what you do in your life, but uh, you never fall out of God's grace. So we talked about Jesus, and I shared the gospel with him, and he accepted the Lord as his savior right there in that cell. They let me out, because I couldn't find my way out on my own. They let me out with a, with a guard. I go back to my car. A couple of years later, I get a call. He's out of prison. They let him out on good behavior. He's got an ankle bracelet that he has to wear. And he said, Craig, I can't come to church. They won't let me, unless you fill out this form and have your elders meet with me and do all this stuff. I said, dude, we're gonna do that. We called him in, we had a special meeting, we had his, I forget what you call it, his, uh, his, um, yeah, his, his person that was watching over him, she, she was there. We walked, walked through all of the stuff, and, and, and I met with the elders and I said, listen, this is what he did, I don't think he's the same guy anymore, but we gotta watch him while he's here, but I'd love for this kid to come to church. And they said, we would too, and, we, and the first Sunday he comes to church with his, dragging his bracelet on his, on his on his ankle. He comes to church, he sits in church, he cries. (laughs) I don't know how messy we can make our own situations, but this I know. 
There's no mess in this world. Whether we have caused it ourselves or whether it has just happened to us and we get caught in it. But there's no mess in this world where God can't use us anymore. In fact, I would beg to differ. I would say that whatever mess you're in right now, God can redeem it in some pretty spectacular ways. I've heard the testimonies of drug dealers that have made me cry about what God has done in their lives. I've seen it for myself. And all I know is that God's grace is much greater and his plan is much more outstanding and spectacular than any way I could mess up my own life. Remember the people in Jesus' own lineage? Liars, cheaters, murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, all gave birth to this Jesus. (laughs) All in the line of Jesus. And in this mess, God does work after work of redemption. So church, don't get lost in the mess. It's easy sometimes, but don't get lost in the mess. God is at work in all of it. Number two, face it, God's plans may not fit your plans. Oh, this one hurts. God's plans may not fit your plans. Joseph couldn't have figured this scenario out. Joseph wouldn't have planned it. Joseph would have avoided it. Joseph was trying to avoid it until God said, no, 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 I need you to stay right there. Go through with the wedding. This kid's not yours. You're the only one that, nobody's gonna believe you. I need you to be the dad that I need you to be right now. Sometimes God does his best in the messiness of our world. Sometimes God's plans don't fit our plans. Did you plan on COVID? (laughs) Did God plan on COVID? Yes. Oh yeah, he did. God did not wake up in 2021 February going, oh, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) There's not a day that God wakes up and says, I didn't see that coming. It all is in his plan. The question is, how do we adapt to what God is doing in our lives? And we find hope in the perceived messiness of life. Joseph found hope in the promises that God had given to him. God's plan was not his plan. So I ask you again, because I'm amazed by this question. If Joseph had to do it all over again, do you think he'd do it all over again? I think he would too. I think he constantly had to look at the breadcrumbs God gave to him and confidently keep walking on the same path. Wow. When do you think Joseph started being happy about God's plan? I wonder. When did he start going, oh, I'm so glad I married Mary, and I have to deal with all these people making fun of me at every party I go to. I think he had a lot of hope, and I think hope drives out fear. You may fear fear blank, but God has a greater something else in mind for you. Hope dispels our fears. Romans 8.22, listen to this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together under the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Do you know what that means? In the hope that God will redeem all of this mess, we are saved. Find the breadcrumbs. Find the breadcrumbs along the, on, along the way and be confident that God has you on a path he needs you to be on. Don't stray from his path. Look for breadcrumbs along the way. And finally, number three, fear what you should, not what you shouldn't. <laughs> fear what you should, not what you shouldn't. This is a whole message, right? Fear not. Fear what you should. Why are you fearing what you shouldn't fear? God's got 
got it all in control. I am constantly falling prey to this one. Because I fear stuff all the time. And I'm thinking, and if you ask me on a sane day, when I'm not in the valley, but I'm actually up on a mountain, I would say to you, God's got it all under control. Sure, I can give you the right Sunday school answer. But then if you leave me alone long enough, in my own thoughts, I'm thinking, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. God constantly reminds us, I've got this. Don't fear. I've got this. So I take you to one of Chris's favorite passages he shares with me. Chris accepted the Lord this year and started uh, becoming a follower of Jesus. We baptize him right here. One of his favorite verses that I love, he keeps telling me about, Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and are not one of them, uh, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Uh, Some of us have more than others, by the way. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. And then verse 31 says, fear not, therefore. You are of way more value than a bird. (laughs) Do you know how much you mean to God? God gave you his son. Do you know how much God loves you? For God so loved the world, insert your name, that he gave his only son. You are of much more value than a bird. And God cares for them. How much more will he care for you? What kind of implications does obeying cause for us? kind of implications? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? If I decide to do what God asked me to do, what is my family going to think of me? What are my friends going to think of me? What is my job going to do to me? If I do what I know God is asking me to do, what kind of implications am I going to face in the future? And the message that you get from Joseph this morning in the first message of the Fear Not series is, fear not, I've got this. Just obey. Do what I'm asking you to do. Because obedient faith offers a hope better than escape. Obedient faith offers a hope that is better than our plans to escape. I am definitely not saying that around every corner lies a $100 bill for you. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. Whatever lies around the corner that God has in plan in store for you is better than what you could hope for yourself. Sometimes it's painful. (laughs) Sometimes you have to endure, but always, always, it is worth it. God is good all the time and all the time. You know that one, don't you? God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Some dif- decisions are difficult, but deep down we know we should do them, and you never do go, go wrong by doing the right thing. Obedient faith offers a hope that is better than our escape. So be faithful, watch for the breadcrumbs, and follow a greater path. Joseph did it, and he got to raise the Messiah. That's a pretty good deal. I don't know what God has planned for me, but it's a good deal too. And whatever he has planned for you, it's a good deal too. Trust him. Obey. Fear not. Good things around the corner. I want to pray with you, and then we're going to sing a great song. Uh, It's a Christmas song, and I'm so glad we get to sing it on this day uh, to end our service together. So would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for our moment this morning as we got to talk through the story of Joseph. We know the story. We've heard it, some of us, a lot of times. But every time I dig into it, I'm amazed at what this man gave up so that he could do what you were asking of him. 
I'm sure he feared. But I'm sure he learned that obedience to your calling, to what you were asking him to do, was far better than any plans he could ever find for himself. So teach us a lesson from Joseph. And regardless of what we face losing, help us to remember what we gain through obedience and through following your will for us. You have been good to us. We're so grateful. And now we ask that you would be blessed as we sing to you one more time and praise your name for all the good things you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray.